You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we're going to be giving you UFC Fight Night, Silva versus Hall, preview and predictions taking place tonight at, from the Las Vegas Apex facility on Saturday, October 31st, with a main event bout in the middleweight division between the former reigning, defending, longest reigning middleweight champion of all time, Anderson, the Spider Silva, as he goes up against his counterpart. Almost a mirror match in that same division. The top contender, one of the former scariest guys in the division. Can he finally put it together? That is top contender Uriah Primetime Hall. Then, in the co-main event of the evening, a featherweight bout between rising contenders tied for the number 15 spot in the divisional rankings. You have Andre Touchy Feely going up against Bryce Thug Nasty Mitchell. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys, how's everybody doing tonight? I know these predictions are kind of last minute, and it's probably going to be a shorter episode than it normally would be, but I was going to be talking about UFC 254 results and reactions, but I think I'm going to have that on the next episode. We're going to be talking about the results of that Khabib's phenomenal triangle, what led to him being able to get the triangle so effectively and uh, ended up having Gaethje go to sleep so quickly. Obviously, Robert Whitaker's standout performance against Jared Cannonier and what set up that finish um, with the right hand of the right high kick. Or it wasn't a finish, but what set up Whitaker's success in that fight and what neglect, uh, what was able to you know, mitigate the success of Jared the Killer Gorilla Cannonier. Obviously, uh, Alexander Volkov beats Walt Harris via second-round TKO. Beautiful body work, that front teep kick right to the breadbasket took the wind out of him. And obviously, we'll have uh, we'll have better breakdowns on that on the next episode. But let's talk about these predictions. Obviously, fight night. Happy Halloween, everybody, you know, for everybody out there. I figured that's probably a good thing to say. And uh, we're only going to be talking about the main card here. So let's start it off with the lightweight division. Uh, you have Bobby King Green, who holds a record of 27 wins, 10 defeats, and one no contest going up against Tiago Moises, who holds a record of 13 wins and four losses. Tiago Moises is coming off a victory over Michael Johnson via second-round heel hook. He went for the, the single-leg takedown head on the inside. Pulled the leg back, hopped into a heel hook position, and got the finish on Michael Johnson after a very, very, you know, a very difficult first round. Michael Johnson was landing that straight left hand down the middle over and over and over again. There really wasn't much for, there wasn't anything that Michael Johnson was missing on. You know, Tiago Moises on the feet is very rudimentary style of striking. He, he's very calm, very patient in an orthodox stance, which is the left lead, and he's constantly moving left and right, faking and feigning, trying to get in and out of range, and then eventually look to set up takedowns and go for submissions. He's a he's a brilliant Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist. He'll look to attack your legs. He'll look to take your back and get, you know, any type of submissions, control you from the back, and, you know, eventually look to submit you. On the feet, he does have good good striking. His best weapons on the feet are probably his right high kicks. His high kicks from the lead leg and the rear leg are probably his best weapons on the feet. He's got very powerful kicks, and they're quick. There's not too much wind-up. When you look at Bobby King Green, he's really come into his own, and I believe he's riding a four-fight win streak in 2020, if I'm thinking correctly. So he defeated Alan Patrick via decision. He defeated Lando Venata via decision as well. Defeated Clay Guida. And def uh, so he's on a one, two, 
three-fight win streak in 2020, beating Clay Guida, Lando Venata, and Alan Patrick. In the Alan Patrick fight, we really saw the development and the usage of Bobby King Green's wrestling and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and his grappling. Um, very, very good takedowns, good body lock takedowns where he'll trip out the, the base leg, um, get the body lock, trip out the leg, pull you down, and sink his weight to one side, and then obviously work for top position. He's very good in scrambles is Bobby King Green, but the main weapon of green is his boxing from the southpaw stance he uses a philly shell type of blocking style where he'll block off the shoulder and then catch it on the opposite side so it's blocking catch or rolling catch he's very good at rolling out of the way of shots pulling back countering with the left hand um he'll throw the left hand step forward into orthodox to get the angle on the opponent and drop that right hand and he did that against lando venata and it worked very well um the thing that tiago moises is going to look to do is to take down bobby green he's going to look to get him down and uh, get him into a grappling exchange and lock up a submission you do not want to be on the ground with a guy like tiago moises with moises against a guy like king green or against a guy like green i'm sorry that is not a place where you want to be because He's he's so good at you know chaining submission attempts together and using takedown attempts to take your back. Maybe he'll shoot a single leg, get get your back, and lock up a submission. Maybe he'll shoot a single leg, pull you down into his guard or pull a half guard, and eventually look to lock up a heel hook or a toe hold. He'll he'll use his movement in a way where he can use that to set up his submission attempts. So in the scrambles is where Bobby King Green Green is going to have to be that much more efficient. He's going to have to fight like he did against Alan Patrick, maybe um, get to almost get taken down, sit out, um, shoot a takedown, get back up to his elbow, get his hips back, get up, push down on the head to control the opponent, get off the fence, always circle and move laterally. Um, one thing Bobby King Green is really good at is he'll fake and faint in that southpaw stance. He'll kind of put his hands out and, and put his head out a little bit closer to you. It makes you think that the opponent's closer, but when you throw the shot, he ends up stepping back into orthodox and then firing the right hand coming through with the left hook. Bobby Green is very, very good defensively. He's one of the most intelligently, the most intelligent defensive fighters in the whole UFC roster. A lot of people forgot about him because he was gone for so long, but Bobby King Green can put it together. And when he puts it together, you know, there's not a lot of guys in that division that he wouldn't give problems to. I think he's very, very good. I think, you know, his record speaks for itself. I believe he's 27 and 8 overall as a professional mixed martial artist. If I can pull that up, I will pull that up really quick. Let's see. Uh, not 27 and 8. He is 27 and 10. 27 wins, 10 defeats, and one no contest. So when it comes down to this, I think it's going to play out very similarly to the first round of the Michael Johnson fight. I think Moises is going to be uh, staying on the outside, looking to set up takedown attempts, fake a shot or fake a punch and shoot in it for a takedown, maybe fake and faint, shoot a takedown, fake the takedown, come up with strikes. But I think Bobby Green's just going to be on another level. His footwork and movement and his ability to move uh, – move backwards and switch stances to pop that right hand. And then he'll cut the angle with the, the check right hook and throw the straight left pop you with that jab. He'll be talking to you in the middle of the fight. I think that Tiago Moises is going to look to come into range, come into clinch range and, and get him up against the fence and shoot a takedown or get shoot a takedown and then pull him into half guard and look for a leg lock. I think that's what Moises is going to look to do. 
and I don't think he's going to be able to do it. I think Bobby Green's footwork and movement, the more you are able to move on angles, the harder it is for the opponent to track you down. If the opponent can't track you down, he can't find the range to shoot the takedown. If he can't find the range, the takedown isn't there. So I'm going to go with Bobby King Green to defeat Tiago Moises via a unanimous decision. Uh, probably two rounds to one. I don't think he does a clean sweep. I think maybe the first round will be hard for Bobby Green. I think it's going to be a little bit of a an adjustment period where he's going to have to figure out the range that Moises shoots its takedowns at and the range that he's able to get into those clinch exchanges and push him up against the fence. I think Bobby King Green downloads the information on Moises, downloads his movement patterns and his favorite strikes, is a, is a able to avoid a lot of the kicks and punches of Moises and the takedown attempts and cruise his way to a unanimous decision. So first up, Bobby King Green to defeat Tiago Moises via unanimous decision. All right, up next in the middleweight division, you've got the trailblazer, Kevin Holland, who holds a record of 19 wins and five defeats, going up against a UFC newcomer, Charlie Onteveros, who holds a record of 11 wins and six defeats. Um, I haven't seen a lot of this Onteveros guy, and I believe that Kevin Holland actually has another fight coming up or was looking to get another fight in about a month or so. Um, he's one of the other guys who's been very, very active in 2020. I, I think Bobby Green and Kevin Holland have been two of the most active competitors in the UFC ever since, you know, this pandemic era. They, they've been looking to get on fight cards every month, every other week. They're trying to get on fight cards. And uh, when you're able to get that much activity, yes, it, it's hard on your body because you're taking a lot of damage and you have to constantly go through training camps. But the more you're able to step in on short notice, the more accustomed you get to being in there. And and the more, the more comfortable you get with the environment without a crowd with, 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 you know, just being able to hear the corners and really think to yourself in the middle of that cage. And I think that's obviously played a big factor in Kevin Holland's success. Um, I believe he's three, and know, in 2020, let me check Kevin Holland. Last fight. We're going to pull this up. So he is, so he beat Darren Stewart, beat Joaquin Buckley, beat Anthony Hernandez and they were two knockouts and one decision. So he's three and zero in 2020 looking to make it four and zero. as is Bobby King green. So it's kind of weird that they're on the same card and they're going for their fourth consecutive win in 2020. You know, Kevin Holland is very, very good, very good elbows from in close. He can step into clinch range and land good elbows. He's good at landing elbows on the break, kind of like a Leon Edwards, but he doesn't use them as a, effectively as Leon Edwards. Well, I guess you can't say that because he's got some finishes and some knockouts. I believe that's what he finished uh, Anthony Hernandez with Hernandez trying to close the range up against the cage. He got the single collar clinch and landed the elbow and landed it again, dropped him and got the finish against Joaquin Buckley. Um, a vicious, vicious straight right hand, I believe. If I can pull up some highlights, uh, I will check that out really quick. Hold on because I want to make sure. Here we go. Uh, turn this volume off. Yeah, so Holland is, you know, he primarily fights in an orthodox stance, which is left foot and front, right foot and back. But he'll constantly switch his angles and switch stances, and he's very good with his movement on the feet. He's a very loose fighter. He doesn't 
he's not, you know, tense. He doesn't tend to wind up on any of his shots. He's just in and out. He's constantly, he'll switch into southpaw and let the, sh the shot roll off the shoulder as you throw your power shot. And uh, if you get in close, he'll get into a clinch range. Sometimes he'll even stand sideways, kind of like a karate stance and a side stance, like a Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, to move backwards and evade a lot of your shots as you come forward. Good kicks to the inside and outside of the leg. He'll fake a kick, step forward into the opposite stance. And he's very good and very comfortable wherever the fight takes place. When a fighter is able to be comfortable, it's a it's very hard to get a read on them, and it's very hard to make them uncomfortable because they're they're used to getting everything. They're used to seeing everything that you throw at them. Um, the best weapon for Kevin Holland in this fight against Charlie Ontiveros is the straight right hand. He used it against Joaquin Buckley, and he's so good at it, and there's no wind-up in his shot. He's just able to, to pull you in, keep his hands low, plop pop the straight right hand in. There's no wind-up. You don't see it coming. He's just right there. Boom, pop it and drop you. Pop it in and that's it. Um, good with takedowns, uh, takedown defense. A very, very good Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist. We haven't seen that much in his last few fights. Against Darren Stort in the third round, he was able to get outpowered and out-wrestled out and you know, Darren Stort was able to have some good top control, but against Tiago Santos, you know, a former light heavyweight title challenger, former, former middleweight contender, he jumped with a flying omoplata. I mean, in the first round, and that was the, his UFC debut against a very dangerous guy in Tiago Santos, and then transitioned from that flying omoplata into a armbar, switched his hips, almost got the submission, constantly was taking damage, got hurt a lot, but kept go kept going and kept moving forward. And you look at how much success Tiago Santos has had, you know, arguably beating John Jones in their fight. That's one thing that Kevin Holland can keep very close to him and be very proud of. Against uh, Charlie Ontiveros, like I said, I, I don't know much about him. I, I haven't seen much of him, but from what I've seen in the highlights, he's a very taekwondo and karate style. He's got a very heavy taekwondo and karate style. It, it's hopping in and out in southpaw and orthodox, hopping in and out, getting the range, in, out, in, out, ba-ba, in, out, in, out, ba-ba. He's always moving constantly. In and out, in and out, in and out. He'll go with uh, side uh, roundhouse kicks from the front leg. He'll go with a side kick from the front leg, teep kicks, kicks to your knees, just keeping you at range. Good movement, as does Kevin Holland. They both have really good movement. Um, switching stances as they move backwards, constantly moving on angles, rolling, slipping, and trying to counter. Um, the big weapon, I think, for Kevin Holland in this fight is obviously going to be the straight right hand. There's no wind-up. I think that if he can time the in-and-out movement, of Charlie Ontiveros, where he steps in, out, in, out, in. If you go in, out, in, and uh, they're constantly, if you, okay, so if, you're, if your rhythm is bop, 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 and the opponent gets used to that, they're like, okay, he's coming in, he's going to go out, in, out, in, out. If you can switch up that pattern and go in, out, in, in, then you can time them. Their timing is going to be off, and you're going to be able to catch them with a counter. So I think that, He's going to figure out the movement patterns of Ontiveros, the, the, the lateral sideways movement, um, the side stance, and the constant just faking and feigning. I think he's going to figure it out. He's going to wait for him to step in, and then he's going to come in with an elbow, or he's going to step in with that straight right hand. I think he drops him, gets on top of him, and gets a TKO in the second round. So I'm going with Kevin the Trailblazer Holland to defeat Charlie Ontiveros via a second round TKO. He wasn't even supposed to fight on this card. Or you know what? No, he was actually supposed to fight. He was supposed to fight Mahmoud Muradov, but he pulled out due to an injury, so they had somebody step in so he could still fight. But I'm still going with the Trailblazer. So Kevin Holland to defeat Charlie Ontiveros via a... I'm going to give... I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. We're going to go second round TKO. 
All right. Up next on the main card in the heavyweight division, you've got the crochet boss, Maurice Green, who holds a record of nine wins and five defeats, going up against the Prince of War, Greg Hardy, who holds a professional mixed martial arts record of six wins, two defeats, and one no contest. Um, this is a great fight. This is a great fight. Um, you know, you look at Maurice Green's last fight against um, John Volante, and the one thing you see with Maurice Green is he has such a height and reach advantage over a lot of guys in that heavyweight division that he fights in the style of like a John Jones. He fights, I mean, I'm not saying he's the same as John Jones or that he fights as effectively as does John Jones because he doesn't. There's not many people in mixed martial arts who do fight as effectively as John Jones, but He's got a style where he is constantly on the outside and just using his reach and his height to his advantage and not letting you come in. He's constantly touching you with the jab, touching you with the jab. Fake the jab, go rear teeth kick to your body to keep you away. Touch with the jab, front leg side kick to your knee, front kick to the knee, side kick, side kick to the body, fake and faint push kick. He's constantly trying to keep you at kicking range because that's where he can use his range to his best ability. That's where he can be his most effective. If you close distance, he does have good boxing combinations. One, two, three, uppercut, jab, cross hook, one, two, cross hook. He can piece up, piece you up with combinations from the inside, but the most effective he's going to be able to be is to be at range. Now you look at a guy like Greg Hardy, the Prince of War. He's coming off a win at UFC 249 over Jorgen DeCastro. Um, it was a pretty lackluster performance from both guys. Um, really the only thing that was effective for Greg Hardy was the jab, the jab and the right hand. He was constantly moving laterally and just popping Jorgen DeCastro with the jab. But in the first round, DeCastro was timing the jab, slipping inside and throwing the right power low kick to the lead leg of Hardy. Hardy wasn't able to stop that low kick. It was constantly just slamming into his calf muscle. Ah, whoop, but he was constantly just throwing that low kick and chopping it up. And it was affecting the movement of Greg Hardy. And since Gr Greg Hardy is a former football player in the NFL and, and he's such a great athlete, his movement and his explosiveness is where his best weapons lie. If he's able to move and move and keep his hands down pretty low and just pop you with that jam and keep moving, pop you with that jam and keep moving, get inside, pop, pop, move constantly slipping. And one thing Greg Hardy's very good at that I think a lot of people don't give him credit for is that when an opponent bum rushes him with combinations, he can let the punches get so close to him, but still find a way to parry a shot, slip out of the way, slip to his left, slip to his right, pull back. He could be right really close to you. The punch literally might be a hair away from his face and he finds a way to stay calm, slip and move. Now against a guy like Maurice Green, who primarily fights at range, can control you in the clinch if he gets you up against the cage, but I, I think the power advantage is definitely in the hands of the Prince of War. I think his power and his explosiveness is what's going to be the key. I think Maurice Green is good, but I don't think that he's as quick as Greg Hardy. I think the speed is going to be, it's going to make it harder for Maurice Green to find the timing. I think Greg Hardy finds a way to catch him and clip him and knock him out. I think the movement, the in and out movement, the explosiveness, his ability to stay on the outside, find a way in and catch you and drop you. That's where the key for Greg Hardy is going to lie. Even against Alexander Volkov, a lot of people are saying, well, he lost that fight. Yeah, he lost that fight. But that guy was ranked two or three in the heavyweight division, uh, uh, close to title to close to a title shot. Greg Hardy's only been in the UFC for two years and he, he had a good performance against Alexander Volkov. I know a lot of people are saying, well, he got picked apart. 
He landed some good shots on Volkov. He took a lot of his shots. He slipped and was defensive on a lot of the movements and punches of Alexander Volkov, and he was able to, to counter him on a lot of occasions. You can't put you can't put that in your back pocket and just throw it away. I think if Maurice Green fought Alexander Volkov, he'd get destroyed. I think he'd get outclassed and knocked out. That's and Greg Hardy went the full 15 minutes. He he had I think he might have won a round. I think it was 29-28, might have been a 30-27, but that's besides the point. I think when it comes down to it, Greg Hardy's more explosive. He's got more power. He's got better movement. I think the lateral movement, the in and out movement are what's going to be the key for Greg Hardy because of how how much Maurice Green likes to play the outside game. He likes to keep you at a distance and kick you, or kick you up top, kick you to the legs, kick you to the head, um, kick you to the body. He's trying to piece you up. He's trying to pick you apart. If Greg Hardy finds a way to fake and then step in and get get you with a combination and throw off your timing, you're not going to be able to control the range as effectively. I think Greg Hardy finds a way to fake his way in, step in with a beautiful left hook to a right hand, Drop Maurice Green and knock him out. I'm going with a first-round knockout for the Prince of War, Greg Hardy. All right. Now we get to the co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division. You have two guys tied for the number 15 spot in that division. You've got the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu ace, the only man to pull off a twister besides Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie. That is thug nasty Bryce Mitchell, who holds a record of 13 victories and one defeat. He's going up against a former longtime staple of the 145-pound division, teammate of teammate at Team Alpha Male with guys like Chad Mendez, uh, TJ Dillashaw, Uriah Faber, just just the, the Cody Garbrandt. The list goes on and on and on, and that is Andre Touchy Feely. Had former had fights against Max Holloway, had fights against Michael Johnson, had fights against Super Sadiq Youssef, has fights against Yair Rodriguez. He's fought some of the best guys in that division, and I think a lot of people are counting him out because of the jiu-jitsu and grappling ability of Bryce Mitchell. Now, when you look at Bryce Mitchell, he they don't call him Thug Nasty for no reason. I mean, he, he deserves that nickname without a shadow of a doubt. He's constantly... Okay, here's the thing with Bryce Mitchell. He's not a technically sound fighter, but he's a gritty fighter. He's going to find a way to get in your face. He's going to find a way to win. His main weapon to win this fight is to get a takedown, get you in the top position, get you into full mount, look to lock up that arm triangle, look to take your back and get a rear naked choke, or look to transition to half guard from the back with that single hook or get the uh, half guard position from the back, put the arm around his his neck, reach around the head, grab around the other side, and twist you, and get the twister. He's looking for that. He looked for it against Charles Rosa, and Charles Rosa is a very, very decorated Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. There's not very many people who can out-grapple Charles Rosa. And, I mean, Bryce Mitchell just made it look easy. I mean, it was constant takedowns. He'll come in, find. he'll either let you throw a kick and catch the kick and shoot a takedown, or he'll fake up top and then get you to bite on the feint, shoot a single leg head on the inside and take you down, or shoot a single leg head on the outside, trip your leg, and then work to either get top control and get the mount, or look to shoot a takedown and then catch you in the scramble and grab your back and look to set up the twister, look to set up a rear naked choke, look to set up an arm bar from the back. Um, his jujitsu is just phenomenal. And his top pressure is, is world renowned. I mean, if he's on top of you, he's going to give you no space to work. He's going to give you no space to breathe. When you are on top of somebody on the ground and you give them no space, 
it's so much harder for the opponent to figure out your game plan. And it's so much more tiring on the opponent because they have nowhere to go. They have nowhere to go. They have nowhere. They can't breathe. They need to keep constantly trying to move. But every time you move, you give up another position to a guy like Bryce Mitchell. Maybe you're on the ground. You hip out and shrimp. He finds a way to sweep out the back or uh, sweep or not sweep. He finds a way to sit back into his uh, into like a seated back half guard and then step around to your back. Or if you if you get up to a hip, he's going to take your back. If you go back to you know, your back, when he gets your back, you try to sit back down and give your back to the mat. He's going to take the top position. He's going to go for an arm triangle. When you try to defend the arm triangle, he's going to step over and take your back. When you try to go back, he's going to get to the full mount. It's just constant transitions after transitions after transitions. Transition before submission, position before submission. And that's something that Bryce Mitchell is very good at. He's always finding the positions on the ground and he's never giving you an opportunity to find the positions yourself or get out of positions because you're you're going to go from one to the next to the next to the next to the next. When you look at a guy like Andre Touchy Feely, like I said, he's fought some of the best guys in the division. He, fought, he, he primarily fights in an orthodox stance. He'll look to pop that straight right hand in. He's very good at, you know, staying pretty loose on the outside, staying pretty calm, you know, stepping in, pop, stepping in, bop, bop, bop. Bop, bop. Um, when he goes to southpaw, his straight left hand is very, very effective. You saw it against Sadiq Yusuf. Sadiq was piecing him up a little bit from the orthodox stance. When he switched to southpaw and put that right foot in front, that straight left hand was constantly finding a home on Super Sadiq Yusuf. It was just pop, pop. He was finding a way to get that outside foot and pop. Um, against a guy like Bryce Mitchell, here's what you have to do. You have to stay at kicking range, and you have to constantly be moving. Do not stop moving. If you stop moving, you give Bryce an ability to step in and get a takedown or close the distance and get into a clinch exchange. You don't even want to be in the clinch against Bryce Mitchell because he can find a way to get an underhook, trip your leg out, and then you're on the ground. Andre Feely doesn't want to be on the ground. Yes, he's good defensively. He has great jujitsu, great wrestling, good grappling. He stays calm on the ground, but against Bryce Mitchell, you don't want to be there. If Bryce Mitchell finds a way to get him to the floor and and maintain a position and get control, there's going to be problems. That's problems for everybody in that 145-pound division. But here's what I think Andre Feely's going to do. Like I said, when he steps southpaw, that left body kick is money. I think he he attacks the inside low kicks on Bryce Mitchell, takes out the calf. You take out the legs, it's going to be harder for him to push off and shoot a takedown. It's going to be harder for him to push off and get in close, and it's going to be harder for him to then set up his grappling transitions. With Andre Feely, pop him with that straight right hand, step back into southpaw, blast that left body kick. He has a very, very powerful kick from that southpaw stance. That rear left kick from the southpaw stance is extremely, extremely effective. And that's what I think he's going to have to use against Bryce. Because Bryce is kind of, kind of stands square. He does have good ability to slip and roll shots, catch him off the shoulder, kind of use a shoulder roll, pop throw some kicks out to keep them away, and then when they come in, you time their step in and get a takedown. But Andre Feely's good with his with his striking. He does get hit a lot against Charles Jordan. He did tend to get hit, but the left body kick was money. And I think against Bryce Mitchell, that left body kick is going to be the key for Andre Feely and that straight left hand from Southpaw. I think he starts out in orthodox, kind of tries to feel out Bryce Mitchell, land that jab, pop the jab, pop the jab. Pop the jab, step back into southpaw, hide it, hide that left body kick behind the straight left hand, whoop, right to the body, boom, right to the body, and constantly land those shots. 
Um, I know a lot of guys are going to go with Bryce Mitchell. A lot of analysts are going to pick Thug Nasty to get the win. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm picking Andre Feely to shine through with his experience, and he's fought some of the best guys in the division. I mean, Max Holloway, Yair Rodriguez, um, Super Sadiq Youssef, and a bunch of the other guys I mentioned earlier, Michael Johnson. I mean, he's fought some of the best of the best in the sport, and he's been around for a long time. I think the experience against top-level fighters are, is going to carry him through against Bryce Mitchell. And I'm going to go with Andre Touchy-Feely to defeat Bryce Mitchell via a unanimous decision. All right, now we get to the main event of the evening in the UFC's middleweight division. You have the former reigning, defending, longtime defending middleweight champion Anderson the Spider Silva making his return to the middleweight division after a loss to Jared Cannonier at UFC 237 and going up against his counterpart in the division that a lot of people compared this man to Anderson Silva. That is Uriah Primetime Hall, the vicious martial arts style striker with vicious kicks, spinning back kicks, round kicks, front kicks, everything you could think of and more. In this fight, on Halloween night in the main event for the 185-pound division, will, the, will Uriah Hall trap the spider or will the spider trap Hall in his web and continue his legacy? Uh, guys, I'm excited for this one. This is a fight that was supposed to happen at UFC 198 back in the day, and it ended up not happening because I believe Anderson Silva ended up getting sick on the day before the fight, and then they had to cancel it. So, you know, it is what it is. You know, injuries happen. That's the name of the game. But we finally get to see it. And, and Anderson hasn't fought since UFC 237, which if I can pull it up real quick. Hold on. Let me... Let me go to this really quick. UFC. Pull up this website, and then we'll get to talking. Um, let's see. Events. I just want to read the stats for the main event because you know you got to read the stats for the main event. Um, full card. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Okay, so Uriah Hall's ranked 10th in the middleweight division, and Anderson the Spider Silva is unranked. It's kind of insane to think that a guy who was a champion for over 2,000 days with, with multiple title defenses is now unranked in the division. It's really, it shows how much the game has evolved and how much people have gotten better and how many new weapons have been designed in the mixed martial arts game in the stand up in the grappling in the clinch you know there's a new it's a new era and can anderson get a win in his final fight or will primetime send him into retirement by him going to sleep um, we're going to find out but when you look at the records, uh, Uriah Hall is 16-9 and nine overall, and Anderson the Spider Silva is 34 wins, 10 defeats, and 1 no contest. When you look at the height, Anderson Silva has a 2-inch height advantage, and looking at the reach, it is a 2.5-inch reach advantage for Uriah Primetime Hall, and he is going to want to use that to, his, to the best of his ability against a guy like Anderson Silva. Leg reach, um, it's a half an inch reach advantage for Uriah Primetime Hall. That could be important, but with a half an inch to an inch difference in leg reach, I don't think it's going to be that much of a difference. When you look at win percentages, um, 
Uriah Primetime Hall has 80% of his wins coming by way of knockout, 7% of his wins coming by way of submission, and 13% of his wins coming by way of decision. The Spider has 65% of his wins coming by way of KO, 12% via submission, and 24% coming by way of decision. Um, when we continue with the stats, let's see, pull it up, pull it up, pull it up. Um, average fight time for both guys, 8 minutes and 53 seconds for prime time and 10 minutes and 36 seconds for Anderson the Spider. Silva, now let's look at significant strikes. It's very close. Um, significant strikes landed per minute in a 15-minute fight for Uriah Primetime Hall is 3.43 to 3.06 landed for Anderson Silva. Percentages of accuracy is 51% of significant strikes land for Uriah Hall, while 59% of significant strikes land for Anderson Silva. Strikes absorbed per minute, Uriah Hall takes more shots at 3.82 to 3.15 for Anderson Silva. And defense, obviously Anderson Silva has the advantage in terms of defense on the feet. That is 52% of strikes defended by Uriah Hall and 61% of strikes defended by Anderson, the spider Silva. Um, when we look at the grappling, I, I don't really think this is going to play a factor in the fight. So we'll just talk about takedown accuracy and takedown defense. Um, 38% of takedowns are accurate for Uriah Hall to a 75% accuracy rate for Anderson Silva. However, Anderson Silva doesn't really shoot takedowns. He likes to stay on the feet and uh, gauge your timing and your distance. Um, with, with Uriah Hall, it's 71% of takedowns defended to a 69% takedown defense for Anderson Silva. So Uriah Hall actually has better takedown defense than does the Spider. Now, when you look at the fight, you know, one thing about Uriah Hall that everybody said is he has the ability to be a champion. He has the ability to be the best in that division with his quick jab, his slick movement, his beautiful spinning back kicks, hook kicks, roundhouse kicks, two-touch roundhouse kicks, where he'll touch with the lead leg and then land with the rear leg. Um, beautiful quickness, beautiful speed, good evasion, and good ability to move and pop you with that jab and move to the side, kind of like a Muhammad Ali, just keep you behind that jab. That's what he did against Paulo Costa. Now, you look at the Paulo Costa and Uriah Hall fight, Costa was getting beat in the beginning of that fight because of the jab of Uriah Hall. He was keeping him at the edge of that jab, popping him every time he came in, pop, 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 every time he stepped in. When you step in and you're getting hit with a jab, it's just a shock. Just every time, pop, 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 getting your head flicked back. If you can't get past the opponent's jab, you can't set up your jab. You can go jab for jab, and I think we're going to see a lot of that in this fight. I think Anderson going to stand in southpaw, Uriah Hall, and orthodox. It's going to be a battle of outside lead foot dominance that I always talk about. When you have a guy and guys in opposite stances, you need to get your foot to the outside of your opponent's lead foot. That helps you set up your rear power shot down the middle, but it also helps you in slipping off the center line to avoid the power of the opponent. I think this is going to be a game of fakes and feints and who bites on the feints more. Who can get the opponent to bite on their fakes, leave themselves open, and get countered? This is either going to be a fight where it's not very much action for the 25 minutes because they're both going to be just looking to fake and faint and get the opponent to bite on a faint and then come in. I think that's going to be a key. I think Anderson Silva is going to look to gauge the timing and the movements of Uriah Hall in the first round. Anderson Silva, you know, obviously he hasn't won a fight in, I think he's 0-6 
or, or one in five in his last six fights, something like that. His last win coming against um, Derek Brunson, I believe. Yeah, he beat Derek Brunson. Controversially, I might add, but he still got the victory, so you can't completely discredit that. Um, Uriah Hall has gotten good victories as of late. He beat Antonio Carlos Jr. and beat Christoph Jotko. Um, the uh, finish. I believe, actually, I think Antonio Carlos Jr. was a decision, and then Christoph Jatko was a finish. He beat Bevon Lewis in a fight where he was getting pressured, and he just found a way to slip and land that counter right hand and land on the chin against Christoph Jatko. He was able to gauge the timing and then again land that overhand right on the chin and drop him. I think the right hand of Uriah Hall is going to be his best weapon against a guy like Anderson Silva. But the question is, how good is Anderson, are Anderson's reflexes? Is he going to be able to slip a lot of the shots of Uriah Hall and, and counter and, and pull back and slip and find a way to pull back and counter? Anderson Silva's best weapons was either him countering your shot stepping in or him faking and fainting and then eventually landing a shot, getting you to freeze up, and then just constantly moving with his hands, moving with his arms, getting you to find the opening and then pop landing a shot and knocking you out. Um, I think the kicking game of both guys is going to be on full display here. I think Anderson's going to look to land a lot of low kicks, and I think Uriah Hall's best weapon is going to be to A, land that right hand, and B, chop the lead leg of Anderson Silva. Inside, outside, front leg stops to the knee, stops to the thigh, constantly attack the inside and outside of the leg. Anderson Silva has has had he had that brutal brutal injury against Chris Weidman in their rematch where Weidman checked the kick off the knee and snapped his shin in half. I know it was a long time ago, but you know that thing that injury is never ever 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 fully healed. And and constantly chopping those kicks and landing low kicks on the lead leg of Anderson Silva could you know, cause more damage than it would to another opponent because of the injury that he had. I think that Uriah Hall is going to look to fake up top, land the jab, low kick, jab, low kick. Kind of like how Anderson or uh, how Israel Adesanya fought Paulo Costa. I think it's going to be a little bit of that jab, low kick, lateral movement, jab, low kick, lateral movement, then fake the low kick and come up high. Um, with Anderson, I think he's going to look to pressure Uriah Hall. Uriah Hall's always been a guy who would get crumbled under the pressure. He, he would wilt under the pressure. If you could time his counters and get him to bite on your fakes a lot, it would make it harder for the opponent to, uh, it would make it harder for Hall to get his timing. And if you get Hall out of his rhythm, he's a shell of himself. He's not the fighter that he could be because he's reacting to what you're doing. Anderson Silva's best weapons is to get you to overreact, leave an opening and let him counter you. And uh, when it comes to picking a winner for this fight, I'm rooting for Uriah Hall because I've always been a huge fan of his. He's one of my favorites. But, you know, you got to pick with your head and not your heart on a lot of these fights. And I'm going to go with Anderson Silva to get the win. <laughs> I think he gets the win in his final fight. I, he looked in phenomenal shape at the weigh-ins. I think the fakes and feints of Anderson and the pressure that Hall is going to be feeling fighting one of his idols. You know, Anderson Silva is the guy who Uriah has always looked up to, the guy that Uriah formed his style after. This is almost like a student versus teacher type of match. You know, it's the newer version of Anderson versus the younger version. Well, actually, <laughs> it's not that. Hold on, I'm almost done. It was the 
it was the uh, the new guy versus the new Anderson versus the old Anderson was Adesanya versus Silva. You know, I think Adesanya and Uriah Hall is a fight that a lot of fans would look forward to. And I think that Silva versus Hall is a kind of a mirror match of Silva versus Adesanya. They're not exactly the same because I think um, Israel uses more fakes and feints and more tricky movements that could, you know, leave openings against Anderson and did leave openings against Anderson. But Anderson Silva won that second round against Uriah or against Israel Adesanya and was able to push him back and counter with that check hook and counter over the top. So I think that's what happens, guys. I'm going to pick Anderson the Spider Silva to defeat Uriah Primetime Hall via a third-round TKO. I think he gauges the timing, finds the distance, reads the patterns, counters Uriah Hall, hurts him, drops him, and gets a finish. So my final prediction for the main event of UFC Fight Night Silva versus Hall is Anderson the Spider Silva to defeat Uriah Hall via a third-round TKO. All right, guys, that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, it's available anywhere audio podcasts are distributed. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Anchor. Anywhere you can get your audio podcasts, you can get the Touch Em Up podcast. Thank you guys for listening. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out.